Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 334 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero. As always, I remind you guys, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure you click that little notification bell so you never miss a live video. But if you do, it's all good. The audio podcast will be out there on podcast platforms around the world. Just search for Montero Unboxing, the Neutral Corner. You will find me. Got a loaded show for you guys uh, today. So I know a lot of you want to get in on the phones. I'll ask you, please wait, because we got some guests. We're going to do a big, big review of uh, all the action last weekend around the world. It was a huge Super Saturday of boxing. So I'm not going to be able to get to the phones for a while. All right. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. Um, but we had a great weekend of boxing, as I mentioned, particularly women's boxing. The women absolutely crushed it in London. And in fact, uh, I think that's it's it's very fitting that I'm going to have uh, my two guests that I'm bringing on here in just a second. They are going to uh, be at the uh, International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame inductee ceremony this weekend in Las Vegas. The International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame started in 2014. Every year they have a new class. This year they have 16 inductees. It's going down Saturday night at the Orleans Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. I'm going to have two guests on that are going to be a part of that show. I think that's awesome because we just had such a great doubleheader there in London a week before this great event. Uh, women's boxing just blowing up, having a fantastic year. This has to be the best year in the history of women's boxing to date. I think about it like this. The three biggest fights you could have made this year were Taylor Serrano in, in women's boxing, were Taylor Serrano, Shields Marshall, Mayor Bumgarner. All three happened. All three of them happened. Two of them on the same night. If we could get half of that in men's boxing, that would be great. All right, uh, real quick, super chat from Aaron. Thank you so much, brother. I know you're at the show there in Australia this weekend in South Brisbane. Um, or were you at the show? Were you at that show or Handy Cambosos too? I can't remember. Were you in the show in uh, Melbourne? Uh, anyway, Aaron says, yo, Mike, the atmosphere for that fight was unbelievable. I hope we get more fights at the Rod Laver Arena. What an event. Love you. Hey, man, love you too, Aaron. Thank you so much. I'm glad you had a great time, man. Uh, Australian boxing has been doing really well lately. You guys have had a resurgence there in recent years, and you've had several big events over there recently. So that's pretty damn cool, man. And you guys had a lot of action this weekend. As I mentioned, there was two cards. You guys had that um, DeBella show slash top rank show, and then you had the uh, matchroom show. So I'll talk about all that in the big, big review. Uh, let's get to... Our guest, though, first, I'm going to bring up two guests and we'll chat for a minute. We are joined today by Melissa Smith, and that's Melissa with an A, Melissa Smith, of Girl Boxing Now. She is the author of A History of Women's Boxing, an International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame board member, and a world's uh, women's boxing historian, just overall historian. And Kyota Duran, who is the copy content editor for ringtv.com, and an artist I guess you, you are the artist for this year's event. You're providing all the art. And, guys, let's let's just jump right in and talk about this event coming up Saturday. 16 inductees. That's a lot. And, uh, Melissa, you're going to be bringing them up on stage and presenting their awards. So uh, what can we expect at this year's event? Well, I mean, the, the first part of it is really exciting because we're going to have Al Bernstein 
you know, Hall of Famer himself mm -hmm. from Canastota and Christy Martin, who was in our first class of the International Women's Boxing Hall of 2014 and, of course, is an International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee. And she will also be um, speaking at the event and also uh, talking about her book, her new um, biography about her survival um, from her terrible ordeal with her husband. And we'll also be signing books. So that part of the event will be very, very exciting. Uh, we'll also be handing out awards to a range of, um, sorry about that, <laughs> to a range of uh, inductees from uh, from the fourth estate. Thomas Gerbasi uh, will be receiving an award this year. And we'll also have um, uh, a woman named, uh, uh, sorry, Cora Weber, who's, just, who's a twin to Dora Weber, who was also a boxer uh, that we honored last year. So it's really kind of exciting. That's awesome. That's awesome. That sounds like a jam-packed evening. You guys are going to be it very is busy. A very and uh, Christy was going to be on the show. She's actually in flight right now. She's in a plane right now or else she'd right. be calling in. Um, mm -hmm. Coyote, brother, what's up, man? Uh, we've talked a million times, and yes, Melissa, too, we've talked a million oh, times, God. but this is our first time face-to-face. <laughs> -face. Um, yep. Man, how did you get involved uh, just drawing and doing the art stuff in boxing? How long have you been doing that? Well, actually, I, I've been drawing and painting ever since I was a pup, as I like to refer being Coyote. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, um, you know, I've, I've been an artist for many years and an independent artist. I've been commissioned for many years. Uh, when I first became a writer back in 2004, uh, I wanted to make certain that, uh, that when I started integrating my art, you know, I wanted to actually have a dovetail with, um, uh, with boxing. So I wanted to make certain that the only sport I editing so uh -oh. many years you know it's kind of built up from there and um from this point i've started to kind of gain a small modicum of following and it's not necessarily to the point of the richard sloan level but you know i wanted to make certain that people knew that i cared about the sport so much that i wanted to offer something visual um, that would uh, reflect my love for the sport. And like I said, it's the only sport I watch. It's the only sport I care for. I've written about it. I have edited edited articles. Um, I've edited my articles. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's one of the wonderful things. Hopefully it wasn't like, too bad. I, Hopefully there, were, there weren't too many typos, Cody. No, no, that's the thing. They're not, they, they weren't. And that's the thing. It's like, I've, I've uh, you know, wanted to parlay the fact that you don't alter the content of the writer's, uh, you know, ideas. You just want to make sure that the structure, the, you know, and, and the, the, uh, uh, the punctuation and all the actual, you know, little sub bits of what they do is covered. But you don't want to alter and change what the writer is doing because you want to make certain that their message, you know, shines through. Uh, but as, mm -hmm. as far as being an artist, I wanted to make certain that, you know, what I do as a visual portrayer is, uh, is something that's 
different from what I do as an editor. And, um, you know, I, I've always, I've painted and I've written, or I've, I'm sorry, apologies. I've painted and I've drawn and, you know, I've illustrated ever since I was little. And um, as a guy who's always been self-trained, uh, I wanted to kind of put that, uh, that energy into what I do now. And um, as somebody who loves boxing to no end, uh, you know, I wanted my art that sort of, and I've got a lot of influence. I, you know, I've always loved Leroy Neiman, who was one of the, you know, who actually not one of the, but the premier boxing artist of any generation. Um, and then we've got a lot of other gentlemen, uh, like, uh, and ladies, not to mention, uh, you know, uh, the wonderful Amanda Kelly, uh, Chris Guzman, mm -hmm. yep. who of Guzman Gloves, LLC who does uh, uh, art on boxing gloves, an incredible human being, a wonderful friend, just, just a transcendent talent. And of course, Richard T. Sloan, the man who does it all, the guy who is at the top of the hill, the tribal chief of boxing art, who does uh, all the, uh, the art for the Hall of Fame in Canastota every single year, a wonderful individual and a very encouraging man, a guy who has helped me as far as my own personal pursuits, he's a guy who I, I don't know if I would be here without him. And, but because of him, I'm here and I'm doing this now. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Melissa, uh, your book, a history of women's boxing, it's kind of referred to as the Bible of women's boxing, right? I, I've heard it uh, called that. Um, what got you into specifically women's boxing, just as a fan and then a historian? Yeah, well, you know, I, I actually uh, had been coming, started boxing myself in 1996 at Gleason's gym, uh, really in earnest in, in early 1997 and was training several mornings a week and got to know some of the boxers um, and was really intrigued by it. I then coincidentally had gone back to to college and ended up writing my master's thesis on women's boxing as mm. a, a gender-bending sport. And um, it was a very interesting process and very difficult at the same time because there was no history that existed. So uh, once I um, completed my master's degree, I was approached by a publisher, Roman and Littlefield, and went about attempting to write a history of the sport that interestingly spans 300 years i mean to me this mm. weekend's an amazing experience at the o2 was this culmination of 300 years of boxing in london just extraordinary um and i'm i'm very honored to also be have started writing a follow-up book on the, just covering the last 10 years which has been so explosive in the sport and i hope that That's that will great. be published in 2024 Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, people will definitely look forward to that. Uh, as you mentioned, there is a history there that a lot of people are unaware of. Um, female combat, it goes back. It goes back almost as long as the fellas. It maybe wasn't sanctioned, um, you know, but it definitely goes back. Um, I've even seen posters for advertisements in the early 20th century for fight cards all female fight cards uh, in New York, in different parts of, uh, of the the Rust Belt, places like that, um, at bars and stuff like that. And the women in the posters would be wearing dresses, 
and they'd have gloves on. It was that sort of thing, you know. Um, and I'm sure you touched on all that in your book. Um, what? How has the game changed? Because you, you know, you mentioned you started in the '90s. You've seen women's boxing just grow exponentially. What What is the biggest difference? Would you say? Um, in the sport now as it uh, pertains to female fighters? I would say the, uh, the, in the United States and probably globally, but certainly in the United States, um, it was, Ill women could box professionally. It became legal across most states in the, 19, in the late 1970s due to um, civil rights legislation that made employment equal. And women would say, hey, you're denying me my right to earn a living if I can't box professionally. And that was how people were able to box. Women were able to box. And in fact, we're honoring one of these women um, this weekend, Cora, Cora Weber. But um, women could still not compete in the amateurs. Mm -hmm. They literally were kicked out. Um, and, and it wasn't until 1995, for instance, in New York State, when a woman named Dee Hamaguchi sued the daily news and said listen you gotta let me box and she did so the advent of amateur boxing has really made a significant difference because it has provided Absolutely. a programmatic approach to learning the sport in gyms and also as it started to grow in competition in national competitions, regional, national and then eventually in international competition which led to the sport being included in the uh, 2012 Olympics at the London Games. That has been an extraordinary game changer. And if you look at this card this past weekend, you had Clarissa Shields, double gold winner. You had, you know, uh, um, one of the girls on the undercard just literally won a gold medal for the UK in June uh, in 2021. So it has made a, an incredible difference because women have, uh, young girls have taken to the gym at a much younger age. I mean, look at Clarissa. She started boxing at the age of 11. That was not the kind of opportunity that a Christy Martin, who was the premier boxer of her generation, had. She didn't come to boxing till she was college age. Or even a boxer like Heather Hardy, who, who is now 40 years old, has had an excellent career, had a little, you know, tiny uh, amateur career. She was a national champion at that point. But she started in her 20s. So it's a very different mindset. Um, so there's that opportunity. And I think it has made a significant difference because women who, who are on national teams get to be supported, uh, whether it's in the United States or India or Brazil. Um, and that has en enhanced their opportunities not only to compete, but to have really excellent uh, training with a, an array of coaches and have excellent competition. Yeah. Just having that infrastructure there makes a huge difference. You know, I, I never thought about that point before, Melissa, but a lot of the, what I would call OG female fighters, the, the, the trailblazers, yep. uh, even here in Atlanta, Ter Terry Moss, yep. she started late. A lot of them started really, really late in their thirties. It was yep. very, very common to, for them to not even start their first pro fight. They weren't even, you know, maybe mid thirties. So now you're seeing these girls at the gym as, as kids. And when I go train, I see it quite often. So, so the game has definitely changed. When you have that amateur infrastructure, it just makes the, the talent and the pros that much better. Uh, Coyote, uh, what specific art did you do for the, for the show? 
uh, Saturday. Is everything already there I in Vegas, did. or are you bringing it with you as you, when you fly out there? Actually, I'm not bringing it with me because I do not trust the air transport system. Yeah, I don't blame you. Will. you <laughs> um, I do not. I think it's being lost, actually, and I don't want them being delayed. They're actually going to be uh, forwarded and uh, uh, you know sent to uh, Ms. Layla McCarter in uh, Las Vegas. I'm going to actually awesome. next day them there. And they are four paintings four paintings of four inductees each 16 total and they are actual i kind of changed my approach on this one initially i was going to do uh canvas uh stretch canvas paintings in uh, acrylic but because of the struggles that i actually had over this recent summer i was having issues with a lot of humidity and i was doing them in acrylic i had to swap that out and i actually had to kind of go back to the well so I did watercolor paintings on uh, uh, cold press paper, 16 inches by 20 inches. I fully framed them um, and they are four inductees each. And I will be cool. sending them out next day air so they can make it in Las Vegas. So they'll get there before I do. Uh, but they're going to be uh, I'd like to think that they're going to make a certain impact. I would like to think that because of the bold approach that I made as far as color and structure and composition, I'd like to think that hopefully, you know, they'll be good enough to honor the inductees this year. Mind you, I'm actually the inaugural artist of the international women's boxing hall of fame. And this, it's difficult to put it into words. It means so much to me, Mike uh, and Ms. Smith, if you will. This is something that is, it isn't just about art. Um, it's about the fact that I can put something into motion and I can actually present something that isn't just going to honor this year's inductees, 16 of them, uh, also including Mr. Tom Jervisy, who was my predecessor mm -hmm. when I used to work at maxboxing.com. A great guy, uh, a Mac really Boxing. incredible individual, and an advocate for women's boxing. It isn't just for them, but it's also for my little girl, my 12-year-old daughter, Michaela. Um, I want to show her. She will be accompanying me to Las Vegas this weekend. Awesome. And uh, I want to show her that no matter what you are, no matter what your aspirations are, you can be successful no matter what if you want to fight if you want to put food on the table this is not just a profession but it's also a supportive um and it's also a guiding metaphor for anything you want to do as a young lady or a woman in general if you want to go out there and you want to do something and you want to be great at it it doesn't matter what it is you do you can do it it doesn't matter if you want to be a police officer, uh, a first responder, a fire, per, you know, a fireman, a fire, you know, wh whoever's in that league, a professional fighter, you know, a commentator, a news person. If you're a woman, you can do it just as well as a man. And you might just be able to do it better because you're up. We, we wouldn't survive. We would not be in this world without women. Women are the fulcrum of human civilization. They are the fulcrum of our existence. Without our mothers, we would have nothing. We would be here. There's a reason Mother Earth is called Mother Earth. And it's because of women. 
And if they want to go out there and fight, and if they want to go out there and bruise those knuckles, if they want to lace up the Levinsons, as the old saying states, then damn it, you can do it. Any kid can do it. Any woman can do it. Any young lady can do it. And when I was approached to be part of this project, I jumped on immediately because I was thinking of my little girl. That's awesome. I'm about to have a little girl myself. And uh, seeing God, so this, pro it's our it's our first, me and my wife, and just seeing the process of what she's going through and how she's, if it's, it's definitely changed my perspective on so many things and as if I couldn't love her and respect her anymore <laughs> it's like doubled or tripled like, I can't even describe it uh so yeah dude awesome stuff guys um before I let you go because I gotta I gotta move on but before I let you go can you just tell people where to find you on all the social media stuff and then uh have a great time this this Saturday and I wish I could be there this time but I'm really hoping to get out there next year well, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to talk and, and really uh, parenthood is the greatest experience you'll ever have. And I have the joy of a girl and uh, wow, all I can say is you are in for a, a wonderful treat. Um, folks awesome. can find me on social media at Girl Boxing Now. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I also have a website, girlboxing.org. And if you do feel like reading a history of women's boxing, you can find it on Amazon. Thank you again. Thank you. Oh, excellent, Ms. Smith. That's wonderful. Um, um, for those of you who care, like I said, you know, this is more about, you know, the the proliferation and the the promotion and the support of women in the sport. Um, I'm only here as a, a as a a cog in the great machine. I'm blessed to be part. I'm blessed to be uh, uh, an artist in combat sports. Um, but if you want to track me down, uh, my official website is uh, coyoteduranart.com. Uh, you can find me on social media on Instagram at coyoteduran. You can find me on Twitter at coyoteduran. You can find me, at, I, I hate to call it this, this is the fan page, but I'd like to think that people who have fans are greater than the likes of me. So I'm just going to put it this way. You can find me on uh, Facebook at Kai, uh, I'm sorry at cdcreationnation.com, something like that. Um, but uh, as far as uh, anything else I do, I also do uh, uh, art tutorials on uh, YouTube. Uh, the uh, channel is Coyote Duran One, numeral one. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I do art videos. I do. Uh, Actually, I just recently did my, my most recent video on uh, my uh, channel, which is a show called Have Paul Will Draw, is one of Terry Moss. And I did a time-lapse video of her in which I did painting her theme song, Ringwalk song, which was The Boss by James Brown. So I do a lot of stuff like that. And you won't see me on my YouTube videos doing beer chugging videos or swearing or cursing because I want to make certain that anybody who watches these videos can be enriched educationally without profanity or shenanigans, if you will. Uh, so uh, if you want to tune into that sort of thing or if you want to see me do dumb things like the, the Pocky One Chip Challenge, please feel free to join in. Um, but I just <laughs> want people to... Uh, 
I, I don't want people to necessarily think that I'm here for the foolishness. I want to support people. I want to make certain that I support other artists, um, creativity and positivity. And um, this weekend, this coming weekend, is all about the pioneers in boxing, all about these 16 wonderful individuals. And might I add, I just want to add something that is we're missing Ms. Christy Martin tonight. And uh, I think that one of the most wonderful things about Christy is that she married one of her former opponents, one of her opponents from mm-hmm. 11 years ago, you know, Ms. Lisa Holowine. Isn't that incredible? Talk about, I mean, I don't know, maybe real life is stranger than fiction, but that's an incredible story about an incredible pioneer, an incredible woman who was actually taking this sport to a higher level in regard to women's boxing. We saw it last weekend. We saw uh, Clarissa Shields. We saw her face Savannah Marshall, the only woman, if not the only woman who ever defeated her in the amateurs. We saw Alicia Baumgartner take out Michaela Mayer. I mean, we're in an absolute, just transcendent resurgence in boxing. Not just boxing, but women's boxing. And you said it best, Mike. You said that women's boxing is taking it to a whole other level. And Uh-oh. <laughs> right when he's about to hit the climax. That's true. Ka- oh, there you go. You're it's breaking incredible. out, man. Can you hear oh, me? I'm sorry. I, that that must be me. I'm like totally. Right when I you're about you to right hit the crescendo, yeah. you, you you blanked out. But I, I hear what you're saying, man. We we gotta I'm we gotta sorry. go, guys. It's all have, good. <laughs> safe travels. Technology. Thank you. Uh, safe travels. Enjoy the event, and I hope to see you guys in person. Thank you, uh, yeah. the next one. We'll see you Thanks next year with your babe in tow. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you, ma'am. Ciao. All right, there they go, guys. Uh, that was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. That was so funny with uh, Coyote, though, because he was about to hit the crescendo of his speech, and then <laughs> don't you love technology? Oh, man. Okay, guys, um, let's jump into uh, some news and notes super-duper quick. We don't have a whole lot, unfortunately, to uh, break down, but I thought this was fun. You know, I'm going to keep my Spence versus Crawford day count going until the fight is signed. Today is day 331 since uh, Terrence Crawford became a free agent, and the, there were zero roadblocks in the way to make a fight between him and Errol Spence for all the marbles at welterweight. It's almost been a year, 331 days today. We'll keep that count going until the fight is here. That's it. Unfortunately, for news and notes, that and then uh, what I already shared with you guys, International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame, they're having their induction ceremony this Saturday in Las Vegas. If anybody is out there in Vegas and interested in checking it out, let me know. Uh, I could get you links to tickets and all that good stuff. Just let me know. And uh, I'll try to be out there for that event next year. I, I've been invited the last few years and I, I was, you know, I've been training for a fight or now I'm training to be a dad. There's like different stuff going on that's preventing it, but I will get out there soon. I promise everybody I will get out there soon. Okay. Uh, it is time for a huge, huge review that we got to get to. Um, where do I start? Let's start, uh, obviously last Saturday, October 15th, let's start in Australia because we had a, a card there Saturday, 
Australian time and then Sunday Australian time. But both cards were uh, broadcast here in, in the States on Saturday the 15th, right? But uh, starting in South Brisbane, Australia, match room on the zone. Uh, Liam Perro improves to 23-0 and with a TKO1 win over Bach Jarvis in a 140-pound uh, fight. So this was um, over really, really quick. Really, really quick. Kind of set the tone for what we'd see later on that day here in the States uh, in one particular fight. But um, that was the Battle of Australia. And also, uh, Sky Nicholson on this card improved to 5-0. and And guys, I got to correct something. I made a major error in last week's show. I, 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 I have to admit, I did not know about Sky Nicholson's amateur background. Didn't know. And I kind of uh, brushed her aside when I was just uh, previewing her fight. I had no idea. I need to correct this for the record because uh, I thought she just got into boxing. I, again, I just was completely unaware. 100 and I think 50 almost amateur fights she had. Was a 2020 Olympian for Australia. Fought in several AIBA World Championships. This woman has absolutely, definitely has boxing credentials. So I need to just you know uh, clear the air and, and correct that. And uh, Fiber was a pro. The, the only thing that's you know holding her back, not a lot of pop. I think she had one stoppage in her entire amateur career. I don't think she has any yet as a pro. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But that's one thing that might hold her back. But this woman has an absolute uh, undeniable boxing pedigree from the amateurs, and she'll take that into the pros. It'll be fun to watch her develop. Uh, sticking with the women's fights, man, let's go to O2 Arena in London. And it was on ESPN Plus here in the States. So, uh, like I said last week, and I talked about this all weekend on Twitter, you know, a little bit of trolling, had a little bit of fun. You know how I like to do. I like to be a provocateur sometimes and have a little bit of fun. People take some things just way too seriously. But these ladies stole the show I'm sorry, in terms of the schedule that we had Saturday, okay? The, the, the two fights that we had, that doubleheader on that show, um, the both fights, the co-main and the main, but especially the main event, they, I think, lived up to the hype, particularly the main. I was a little disappointed in the co-main. After all that trash talk, I thought I thought both women could have pressed a little bit more. I'll talk about that in a second. But these were the two best big, quote-unquote, fights of the weekend. Everything else was a showcase. Everything else was a showcase, and the predicted winner won. Right now, there may have been a couple of surprises, particularly in Brooklyn. I'll talk about that. But everybody that was supposed to win won and won big, which was the prediction. Right, the, the odds stated that Wilder, Plant, and Cambosos would all win. There were no surprises that those guys won and won big. Now, maybe how they won was surprising. We'll talk about that. But these two fights were like really, really close, evenly matched. Odds makers saw it that way, and the action delivered that way. So you got to give these ladies uh, credit. I think that, listen, guys, I'm not trying to compare women's boxing to men's boxing. In terms of the talent pool, the the depth, it's not even close. It's really two different things, okay? However, women's boxing has grown by leaps and bounds in recent years. And the women are getting in when they can in fighting the best. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the three biggest fights you can make this year in women's boxing were Taylor Serrano, Mayor Baumgartner, and Shields Marshall. All three of them happened in a calendar year. And all three of them were pretty damn good fights. Now, 
I think Taylor Serrano was the best. And, you know, that was a fantastic fight, fantastic event. But think about this. That event sold out Madison Square Garden in New York. This event Saturday sold out O2 Arena in London. Those are two major markets, dude. Those are two major markets, two storied venues. And the shows did well. They sold. So you got to start giving credit where credit's due, guys. And if you're sitting out all of these women's fights, you're missing it. Now, again, I'm not trying to say that the skill set and athleticism is on par with what you're going to see in men's boxing. Biology matters. There, there are differences. But you're getting some action in the women's boxing, and they're, actually, they're fighting the best more often than what we're seeing with the men. It's undeniable at this point. It really is. I really hope that they can continue this into next year. Anyway, let's start in the co-main. Um, Alicia Baumgartner with a split decision win over Michaela Mayer unifies three titles at junior lightweight. Scores were uh, 96-95 twice for Baumgartner. One judge had it for Mayer, 97-93. Now, watching this fight live, um, and I really wasn't scoring – I guess, seriously, I was just kind of watching it as a fan and just giving my general viewpoint of how I felt the round went, kind of scoring it, watching it with you guys and tweeting and stuff. Um, but I wasn't sitting down as a judge, as a as a, a boxing analyst, you know, scoring it really, really seriously. I was just generally scoring it. Anyway, I thought Mayor may have edged it watching it live, but I absolutely thought it was a close fight that could have went either way have absolutely zero issue with Baumgartner winning, especially when you consider the fact that she started faster. She uh, clearly won the first couple rounds, and Mayer really didn't start getting in there until the third or fourth round. And in a 10-round fight, you know, giving up those first two or three rounds, you're really burying yourself in a hole. In a 12-round fight, that fight might play out differently. Three-minute rounds might play out differently. But that's not what we have right now. We have 10 two-minute rounds. And if you're giving up uh, the first two or three, that's that's hard to come back from. So so I think Michaela Mayer, who, who hated the decision, left the ring after the fight, didn't even do a post-fight interview in the ring. I thought that was a bad look. Um, but, you know, I understand the frustration and everything, but you got to stay there and own it. And and state your case there in the ring. You don't you don't run out like that. Um, this was no robbery. I saw some people on Twitter saying, "Oh, this is a robbery. They robbed Michaela Mayer." That's absolutely not true. This was a very very close fight. I would have been good with a draw. I'm good with either girl winning. Uh, so anyway, um, let's see. Mayer, Michaela Mayer, according to CompuBox, I know everyone's favorite, right? Landed more punches than any previous Alicia Baumgartner opponent. So no, none of Bumgarner's opponents had landed this many punches on her. So that tells you that there are people on Twitter also saying that Bumgarner dominated, that Mayer barely won around. That's absolutely ridiculous. Mayer did some very good work in this fight and worked her way back into it. Uh, Mayer doubled Alicia Bumgarner in jabs landed and body punches landed. But Bumgarner outdid Mayer in overall power punching, basically doubled her up in that category. So it's one of those fights where it really comes down to what you prefer. Do you prefer the sizzle and flash or do you prefer the old school straight up boxing? Do you like the tall rangy fighter using a jab and sticking it down to the body with an occasional straight right hand? Or do you like the boxer that's 
throwing you know flashy punches from different angles and uh, looking more explosive and this these types of style matchups always lead to arguments among fans and media and boxing experts as to who won because it really comes down to what you prefer we've seen an increasing amount of fights like this in recent years canelo golovkin 2 comes to mind where again you got one boxer doing a little more of the sizzle and flash another boxer doing more of the consistent just straight up work behind a jab just like the old school approach and neither person really separates themselves you wind up with a close debated decision we see this a lot and that's what this fight was that's what this fight was certainly no robbery i'd love to see them run it back Bumgarner said immediately after the fight, and I quote, that girl ain't getting no rematch. So she wants to move forward and fight the South Korean fighter Choi, who has the fourth belt. My thing is, I don't know if Choi wants any of that. I really don't think she wants to fight Bumgarner. I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to see complete unification. But I think what we're going to see is her continue to avoid top challenges. She hasn't fought anybody yet. I don't know how the hell she has a title. Choi has, hasn't fought anybody yet. So perhaps Grandpa Bob at top rank can work his magic and get maybe Michaela Mayer lined up to fight Choi because maybe Choi will look at that as a more winnable fight because Mayer has no punching power. Baumgartner does. She's explosive. And I think Choi's going to try to avoid that style altogether. Again, hope I'm proven wrong. But business-wise, maybe top rank Bob Arum they can go to Choi's promotion and say, hey, let's do this. And we'll, be, we'll, we'll go over there to South Korea and fight. And uh, we'll make concessions, the whole nine. And maybe that's how Mayer can grab that fourth belt and quote-unquote earn that rematch with Baumgartner. Maybe that's how we see it. There are people out there talking about maybe uh, Mayer should move up to 135 and fight Katie Taylor. I think we're going to get Taylor Serrano too next year. I think we're going to see that. And it's a much bigger fight. Honestly, there's more money in it. So uh, I think that's the route they're going to go. If I'm mayor and top rank, if I can't get an immediate rematch with Baumgartner, I'm going after Choi to grab that last remaining belt because that will get Baumgartner to take the rematch. All right, main event, Clarissa Shields with a unanimous decision win over Savannah Marshall to become, once again, become the undisputed women's middleweight champion. Scores were 97-93 twice and 96-94. Shields threw and landed more than Marshall in every single statistical punching category. Jabs, power, body punching, everything. Simply, Simply put, she outworked Savannah Marshall. Now, that doesn't mean Marshall didn't have some really great moments and win some rounds. I saw some people on Twitter again saying this was like 9-1 Shields. That's absolutely not true. This felt like a 6-4. Maybe you could go 7-3 fight for, for Shields. I was fine with the scorecards. I was absolutely fine with it. But I do think that a lot of people were missing, particularly the commentators who didn't have their best night, particularly in the main event. Um, they were missing a lot of the defensive work that Marshall was doing. She does a very good job at keeping a right hand up and catching left hooks. She rolls with punches and she has a fluidity about her. She's not very fast. She's not fast, but she's kind of fluid for such a tall, big girl. She kind of rolls and slips and moves with punches. And she was doing that very well. The problem was 
She wasn't punching enough. Clarissa was. Clarissa was punching uh, in combination and putting it together two, three, four punches. Shields was one punch at a time and she was smothering her work. She has crazy long arms. She's got a lot of length and reach and she was throwing, you know, her elbows were bent the whole time. She was throwing roundhouse punches. Looked kind of sloppy at times. It, it was, you know, this is not going to go over well, but it, it was reminiscent somewhat of the way Tyson Fury looks sometimes. A female version of that. I know that the Fury fans are going to pounce on me, but that's what it looked like. And look, when you're super tall and long, you, you know, you're going to kind of look like that sometimes against a shorter opponent. I, I, I get it. But uh, Marshall should have thrown a lot more. And, and this fight, if she had thrown 10, 20 more punches around, she could have won. Clarissa Shields, after the fight, admitted that the last few rounds, she had trouble seeing out of her right eye because Marshall caught her with such a hard shot. Uh, Shields gave Marshall a lot of credit and said that she hits very, very hard and hurt her. I, I got to say, guys, of any fighter this entire weekend, I'm looking here at my schedule. Um, all the performances. Do you know whose stock rose with me the most? This answer is going to surprise a lot of you. You're going to think I'm full of shit, but I'm dead serious. It was Clarissa Shields. I haven't haven't thought that highly of Shields um, in the past because she hasn't really had great opposition to fight. The divisions she fights in are very, very weak in terms of the talent pool. Savannah Marshall was clearly the best opponent she's ever fought. Amateur pro, Savannah Marshall was the best opponent. And Marshall proved that with her performance. She did better against Shields than anybody has over 10 rounds. So Shields went to face the best opponent of her career and went to her backyard to do it and put it on her. Let her hands go. Um, and then after the fight, Instead of kind of pulling the, the card Alicia Bumgarner pulled, where she continued talking trash and spinning venom at Michaela Mayer and even the crowd there in London who were booing her, um, which is kind of reminiscent of how Clarissa has been in the past. Clarissa acknowledged the crowd, thanked them, and even said, hey, you, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, like, you guys are booing me. I hope next time I come back and fight here, you're cheering for me. And she gave Marshall credit and said, Marshall is a really good fighter. She hurt me. She punches hard. It was just, you saw a little bit of humanity from Clarissa after the best performance of her career. That really impressed me. So on top of everything she agreed to, going over there to do the fight, and she had to because Marshall had the fan base, you know, the money was over there, all of it. But going over there, doing the fight over there, beating her, and then being classy in victory, unlike what we saw after the co-main. I was really impressed. And Savannah Marshall just lost for the first time. She didn't storm out of the ring like um, like Michaela Mayer did. She stayed right there and gave Clarissa credit. They both still jawed at each other a little bit, but they smiled while they did it. They hugged it out. They addressed the crowd. I mean, I was impressed. I'm sorry, that, that stuff, that impresses me. So Savannah Marshall's, and definitely Clarissa Shields' stock rose a lot in my eyes. Now, I got to add this. Man, if Clarissa Shields had power, she just does not have any power. She landed so many punches on Marshall. Right hands, left hands, uppercuts, hooks, 
looping right hands, straight right hands, up jabs, slip jabs. I mean, everything. And there wasn't a mark on Marshall's face after that fight. Clarissa Shields just has no punching power. I actually think Michaela Mayer hits harder than her. And that's that's just the one thing that's really holding her back because if she was going in there and knocking girls out, her she'd be so much more popular. Fans would would want to watch her fight. If you're knocking people out, fans want to watch you fight. And that is a huge thing missing from her arsenal. There are some other issues. There's some personality issues and, and stuff like that. She can be difficult to work with. This is what I've been told by multiple people uh, close to that situation. There's a reason why the large promoters didn't jump in. She has a fantastic story. but So there are some issues with, with some of the personality stuff. But the main thing holding her back, man, is the power. She just doesn't have any. Do I want to see a rematch of this fight? Sure. But Marshall said um, afterwards that she may retire. You know, I, I do think that um, one, one thing I will say for Marshall, Franchon Cruz Desern was there. She is the current undisputed 168 champion. If I'm Marshall, I am, and I should say Cruz Desern called her out right after the fight. If I'm Marshall, I'm moving up to 168 fighting for the undisputed championship there. That's a winnable fight. It's going to be, it's going to be tough. Cruz Desern has improved a lot. She's a good fighter. That's going to be tough. But if she can move up to 168 and win that title there, it, it just makes too much sense not to do it. I think she'd be better served doing that than rematching Clarissa Shields. That's what I think about that. All right, guys. <clears throat> Again, for those of you on the phones, uh, please drop off for right now because um, I still got much more to cover. I'm not going to be able to get to your phone calls for a while. So you're just kind of sitting there on hold. Probably be better off calling back later. Super chat from Anthony Santiago. Thank you so much, Ant. He says, what up, Mike? And chat, thought Mayor won, but a toss-up. Shields won, but I thought it was a lot closer than most people thought. Completely agree, Ant. I mean, that's that's how I saw it. Either way, um, good doubleheader. I, you know, one thing um, you just reminded me of, it just hit me, uh, I forgot to mention this. Mayor and Baumgartner talked so much trash during the whole promotion, right? They were getting in each other's ass, right? They were just talking all kinds of shit to each other. And then they got in the ring and both kind of sparred a little bit. I never got the feeling that Baumgartner, especially Baumgartner, actually, because she had that fast start. She never stepped on the gas. She never emptied the tank. Now, Mayer stepped it up in the middle rounds and made an adjustment and stepped it up a little bit. But she never went for it either or emptied the tank. And in that 10th round, when the fight was on the line, neither girl emptied the tank. And I'm like, man, for all the trash talk, you guys get in there and kind of do, I mean, it was a good technical fight, but I just didn't see the passion and the, the hatred for each other that they expressed during the, the, the whole promotion. Yet in the main event, Shields and Marshall, who, you know, they, they jawed at each other a little bit during the promotion, but nothing, nothing like the, the girls in the main event. And they went out there and they put it on. Clarissa really stepped up. Marshall responded. And in that last round, they were both throwing some haymakers and going for it. 
I really wish Mayer and Baumgartner would have fought like that because I really feel that they both left way too much gas in the tank, both of them. You know, somebody had to win. Baumgartner got the nod, but it just as easily could have been Mayer getting the nod. Whoever came out short on the decision is going to regret that they just didn't do quite enough. Um, and that surprised me. It really did. And I remember saying on Twitter, I thought both of the girls were playing up all that vitriol for the cameras. And some people bashed me like, oh, how long have you been watching boxing? They got a beef that goes back years. You don't know what you're talking about. Really? I don't know. I watched the fucking fight and yeah, it looked like a lot of that shit was for the cameras. I'm not saying these two girls like each other, but they sure didn't fight like they hated each other. It's not what I saw. Antoine. Thank you so much for the super chat. He says, hey, Mike, so glad I'm finally able to catch the show live. Keep up the good work, 100. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it. And with another super chat, thank you, sir. Says, what exactly is preventing three-minute rounds? Haney actually impressed me. He beat up Cambosos. Also, what's up with ESPN commentators? Timothy Bradley has been awful. Well, I'm not going to beat up on any of my <laughs> fellow commentary people. Uh, not that I'm anywhere near the level of, of Timothy Bradley, obviously. Um, but I've done plenty of ringside commentary. I'm not going to opine on any specific person. But yeah, the ESPN Plus commentary for the London card was, was poor in spots. Um, particularly, I mean, those guys were watching on TV. They saw the same feed we did. And I saw Marshall slipping and catching a lot of Shields work. And those guys just didn't see it. It's interesting what people see or don't see as far as three minute rounds. And I completely agree with you, man. Um, and I tweeted about this during those fights guys. Imagine in a fight, let's take Shields and Marshall Marshall stalking. And, and laying on shields and trying to get her tired, right? And, and trying to slow her down so that she can hurt her. And shields did admit that it was like maybe the seventh, eighth round or something. Marshall did hurt her and she had to fight through that and had trouble seeing. I, I think it was a right eye, she said. Uh, I might be wrong. It might have been the left eye. Anyway, um, imagine if those are three minute rounds. Imagine if they're 12 three minute rounds. And instead of having to deal with that pressure for 20 minutes, now you're dealing with that pressure for 36 minutes that's almost twice the amount of time it's gonna change that fight the championship rounds of a three times 12 fight between shields and marshall that same fight we that we saw saturday you put that into 12 rounds that are three minutes those championship rounds are going to look a lot different now i'm not saying it means marshall definitely wins i'm not saying that but it sure would look a hell of a lot different and I got to say the same thing about the co-main. With Bumgarner, who was fighting in spurts, she'd do a flashy combination and then run. And Mayer coming forward, jab, jab, stick to the body, jab, right hand, right? And every now and then, they barely, barely got into trenches. What style wins out over a three-minute round, over 12 three-minute rounds? From what I saw, Bumgarner had a fast start but faded in those middle rounds. She had a couple of spurts in the later rounds. I think it was the seventh round that she clearly won. She dominated. And then she did some good work in the 10th round. But the eighth, ninth round, not much there from her. I saw Mayer coming on more later on. That fight looks different if it's 12 three-minute rounds. So I'm just saying, 
Um, <clears throat> I don't know why we're doing these two minute rounds for women's fights. Uh, it's, it's stupid. It's, it's actually to a point now where I'm just going to say it's stupid. Take the kick gloves off, man. If, if, if we truly feel that female fighters are equals to male fighters, right. And cause that's what the politically correct messaging is treat them like that. 12, three minute rounds. Hey, trust me, the girls want it. They do. <clears throat> Aunt Santiago <laughs> with another super chat says, shout out Caleb Plant with the grave. Uh, yeah, so I'll get to him in a minute. I do find it very, very funny that people were outraged about Caleb Plant doing the grave digging pose next to a knocked out, you know, unconscious Anthony Durrell. But those same people who were outraged over that had no issue with Anthony Durrell saying a bunch of racist shit during the promotion for the fight. That was okay. But Plant kind of getting a little bit of revenge and digging the grave, that was outrageous. Uh, just people cracked me up, dude. Omar Rodriguez with the super chat. Thank you so much, Omar. He says, I got to call you out, Mike. Using the three-minute round argument for these fights and kind of dismissing it when Serrano Taylor makes you look biased. You know what, man? That is a fair. That's fair. That's fair. Because I do think after that fight, I said, I don't give a shit about three-minute rounds, right? I probably did. And for a long time, I guess I didn't care about it. I've changed my mind. So, um, you know, thank you for calling me out on that. Um, in the past, I was cool with the two-minute rounds. And I didn't, you know, I have said in the past, it's not going to make a difference. I've thought about it. I've watched more of these fights. My mind has changed. I absolutely do think it would make a difference, and I think that it's time to do it. So uh, we are allowed to change our minds in life. We are allowed to evolve. I appreciate you calling me out, brother. I appreciate the super chat, but um, I, I've changed my mind. Now, now look, maybe we don't do it for, uh, for non-title fights or something. I don't know. We got to find a way to like integrate it into the system. It's not going to be like just a sudden change. But maybe we start with championship fights only or something. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe we change the, the round time first to make it the rounds three minutes. Then maybe later on we go from 10 rounds to 12 rounds. I'm not sure what all the answers are, but I do think it's time to make the change. I do think it's time. I think that, you know, looking back, the three big female fights this year were good enough. I would have been totally happy with three 12-minute rounds. Now that I think about it, I've sat back and processed everything. I would have been good with that. There were some fights in the past, a lot of female fights, if I'm just being honest, that I'm like, yeah, I don't need to see 36 minutes of that. 20 was enough. I'm good. These fights are starting to get good now, guys. You're telling me you didn't want to see 16 more minutes of Taylor Serrano or, or Shields Marshall? I sure did. I'd, I'd watch 16 more minutes of that. So let's make the change, man. Let's make the change. I am convinced now. All right. Uh, before we go to Brooklyn, let's go back to Australia and skip to Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, uh, October 16th in Australia, but it was still Saturday the 15th here in America. This was uh, broadcast on ESPN. So ESPN Plus did the London card, but the, the network had this uh, Australian card for Melbourne where Devin Haney scores a unanimous decision win over George Cambosos Jr. to defend his undisputed lightweight championship uh is lomacheco next we shall see um 
And I got some opinions on that. First of all, Haney Cambosos. Okay, the good and the bad. Here's the good. Devin Haney, his back was against the wall at the beginning of the year because his contract ran out with Matchroom and Eddie Hearn. And Hearn had lost so much money with uh, with Haney that uh, he was not interested in re-upping. PBC didn't want him. None of these other promotions wanted him. Golden, they didn't want him. Top rank saw an opportunity, and they proposed something to Devin Haney. And he ended up, and this only happened, I need to mention this, this only happened because of the war in Ukraine. Because the plan was for Lomachenko to go to uh, Australia and fight George Cambosos. That was the plan. Terms were agreed to. And believe me, I've talked to people on both sides of this in depth about the deal and everything else. It, it was, everyone was on board. We were going to see Vasily Lomachenko in the first half of this year, go over to Australia and fight George Cambosis for the undisputed lightweight championship of the world. That's what we were going to see. But then the war in Ukraine happened. That put Lomachenko out. Here's a huge opportunity for Devin Haney. So him and his father see this opportunity and they seize it. To take advantage of the opportunity, they had to agree to do a deal with top rank. And, and Haney wanted to kind of stay independent for a while. Remember you said all that? Well, he had to do a deal with, quote unquote, with the devil. He also had to agree to go to Australia not once, but twice. And then there were issues, particularly with the first fight, where they didn't know if his father could come over, all this stuff, right? He's had to deal with the business of boxing, the A-side, B-side thing, to get all this done. But credit to him, Devin Haney did the deal he had to do. He made the deal with Top Rank. He made the deal with Cambosos and his people. And he went over to Australia not once, but twice. And both times, he went over there and dominated and won these fights, okay? That's the good. That's the good. Now the bad. He didn't set the world on fire. These weren't particularly entertaining matchups. George Cambosos is a rugged, sometimes kind of awkward, but explosive with underrated athleticism fighter who is a true lightweight, right? Um, Haney is just better in every category. He's just better. He's basically a welterweight who somehow smashes down to lightweight. By the way, this time next year, Haney's absolutely going to be at 140. And I don't even know how long he'll last at 140. He's eventually going to be at 147, all right? So, so that's, that's the truth. But while he can still make 135, he has so many advantages over George Cambosos. If this guy is the pound-for-pound, pound, the future pound-for-pound pound star of boxing, you just want to see him go in there and stop the guy. And I get it that George is a, is a Cambosos is a tough guy, has shown a sturdy chin, tough, rugged, uh, determined. You know what? Make the ref or the ring doctor force a stoppage. Put such a whooping on that guy, bust up his eyes, bust up his nose, bust up his face to where the ref has seen enough. And in the 11th round, he waves it off. One of those stoppages, if you don't have that one-punch knockout power, which we know Haney doesn't have, he doesn't have it, step it up and get, I want to see that, right?
that was one thing lacking from Shakur Stevenson's game for a while, but in some recent fights, not all, but in some recent fights, he has done that. He is, you saw what he did to Jamel Herring, right? Um, which that really impressed me. That performance really impressed me. That's kind of what I wanted to see from Haney. Because if we're being honest, Jamel Herring is better than George Cambosos. He just is. He's a better fighter. Older, more worn down, sure. Wasn't going to go away, though. You're not going to knock him out with one punch. Stevenson just beat him down to the point where the fight got stopped. And that's kind of what I wanted to see Haney do here to Cambosos. So, doesn't get that. So, so he's the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. There's no doubt about it. He is, clearly. But is he the best lightweight in the world? I don't know. I'm going to pull up the, let me pull up while I'm talking here, the lightweight ratings, current lightweight ratings, because I think it's worth just noting some of the other fighters in this division. Right now, the champion, of course, is Haney. George Cambosos, a lot of people rate him number one because he beat the previous champ who beat the previous champ. Then you got Lomachenko, you got Javante Davis, you got Ryan Garcia, you got Joseph Diaz Jr., you got William Zapata, and you got guys like Frank Martin, Michelle Rivera. There's several others I could point to. Um, it's a pretty, pretty loaded division. And I don't know where George Cambosos ranks there, but I certainly don't put Cambosos ahead of Lomachenko, Davis, Garcia. I don't even know if Cambosos is better than Joseph Diaz Jr. I probably favor Diaz Jr. to beat Cambosos. No disrespect to him. It'd be very close. It'd be close and competitive. I'm just saying, I want to see these guys fight each other, particularly the younger guys. So I talked about that on Twitter this weekend because a lot of people are saying, oh, I can't wait to see Haney versus Lomachenko. And going back to what I just told you guys a minute ago, Loma was supposed to fight Cambosos. Haney beat Cambosos, so now the next logical step is Haney versus Loma. I like that fight. Of course I like that fight. And for Lomachenko, it's a chance to fight for Undisputed, which he got robbed of when the WBC did their whole franchise belt thing. Right, He should have been the Undisputed Champion. And this will be a chance for him to fight for it. It'd also be clearly the best opponent Haney's ever faced. I like the fight. Don't get me wrong. If we get that fight next spring, I like it. I won't complain one bit. I just want to see Haney, Stevenson, Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis. I want to see these dudes fight each other. And every time I bring that up on Twitter, people are like, well, what about Lomachenko? They, they always jump to that. I don't quite understand it. It's this weird thing people have with Loma. It's I want to see all those guys fight Lomachenko. Don't get me wrong, but I want to see them all fight each other too. But what a lot of fans keep saying is, well, you know, uh, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis and, and, and um, Tiafima Lopez and, and Shakur Stevenson, all these guys got time because they're young. They got time. They got till they're 30 or something. To, first of all, Javante Davis is already going on 30. But the other guys, sure, Haney, Stevenson, all those guys are young. Okay. But why do we have to like wait years and build it up and have them fight once? Why can't they fight once now? And then once again, two years from now, once again, two years after that, that's what they used to do in the eighties, the nineties and like throughout boxing history. I've talked about this so many times when Leonard 
and Hearns first fought, they were 25 and 23. It might actually it might have been 25 and 22 when they fought for the first time. And then they fought several times later on in different divisions. So, like, I think there's so many fans that are worried. Let's say if Haney and Stevenson fight, one of them has to lose their O. Let's say Stevenson beats Haney. I'd pick Stevenson to beat Haney right now. Does that mean Haney's finished? No, it means he has one fucking loss. Who cares? They're both going to be at 140 in another year or so anyway. So why couldn't they fight again at 140? And maybe at 140, Haney looks better and then he wins. It sets up a rubber match. And you could do that a couple years later when they're at welterweight. This is what I don't understand about modern boxing fans. You guys are making it easier for the promoters to continue shitting down your throat with this nonsense. I just don't understand the way you guys think. You should want to see these cats all fight each other now for the first time. And then you should want to see them fight several times throughout their career, no matter who loses or wins. I bring all this up and people are like, oh, you got an agenda. You just don't want to see Lomachenko lose. You're just, Lomachenko's already lost. He's already lost before. He doesn't have his O. So that theory, I don't understand it. I've, I've stated for years, Lomachenko will lose fights. He will continue moving up in weight and he will get to a point where he's over the hill and he will lose fights. I said the same thing about Golovkin. These guys will lose fights. It, it depends on how long they continue fighting and who they end up fighting as they get older, et cetera, et cetera. But like th the notion that I don't want Haney to fight Lomachenko because I'm afraid Lomachenko is going to lose makes no fucking sense. It makes no sense. I want to see, I could just as easily say, you don't want Haney and Stevenson to fight because one of them is going to lose their O. Here's the thing. I'm not the one who gives a flying fuck about undefeated records. It's some of you guys out there. So who's the one with the real agenda? <sighs> Boxing Twitter. It's awesome. All right. Let me see if, um, let me see if I can find any super chats. So I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Again, I, I want to state for the record. We are very, very likely going to get Haney versus Lomachenko next spring. I like that fight. I like it a lot. It's awesome. I want to see the winner fight Stevenson or Ryan Garcia or Javante Davis or move up and fight Tiafima Lopez. That's what I want to see. Okay, we're caught up. We're caught up in the chat. Let's continue, shall we? Let's continue with this uh, reviews. Let's go to Barclays in Brooklyn, PBC. I saved the best for last. Because, oh boy, was my Twitter account, just my feed was very, very interesting um, Sunday morning, to say the least. So I did not watch this event live. I got up the next day, Sunday morning. I had my coffee. I sat on my couch, drank my cup of coffee. And uh, looked at my phone and, and check, catch, caught up on my emails and all my boxing media stuff. And then I looked at the highlights. And I saw that Wilder flattened Hellenius in a round. Wasn't really surprised. Now, I said mid-rounds. That was my prediction. But when I saw that it happened in the first round, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, damn, that's fast. Then I watched the video of it and laughed hysterically. Um I saw that Caleb Plant scored a knockout over Durrell. 
Didn't shock me. I picked Plant to win by decision because I said he can't punch very hard. But him stopping a guy who's 38 and has fought three times in three years, once in the last two years, hasn't fought a live body in a couple years, and has gone one, one in one in those last three fights. Wasn't shocked that he stopped him. Uh, he hit him with a great shot. It was a great shot by Plant. But it, it's, it's not like it was shocking, right? Uh, actually, the biggest surprise on this card, uh, I think for a lot of people, it probably was the Plant knockout. But uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez in Nacho here on the show called it. I think it was Friday. Nacho called and said, Emmanuel Rodriguez is going to put it on Gary Antonio Russell. And he did. And he gets a technical decision win. Um, with a headbutt once again, stop the fight uh, right at the start of the 10th round. But Emmanuel Rodriguez just whooped up on Gary Antonio Russell. And the headbutts looked, at a certain point, they started to look like they were being done purposely. I got to say it. Uh, for a headbutts once again to cause an issue in this fight, I don't know, it looked a little strange to me. I'm just saying. But Rodriguez clearly won, and it's just a better fighter. The Gurries haven't had a very good year. but Two, Gur two of the Gurries have lost this year. Um, but for Gary Antonio Russell, this, I think he was on his way to losing their first fight, which ended very quickly because of the headbutt. This time around, he loses decisively and um, may have been stopped because the ref did some weird crap. I, New York has some weird stuff going on with that commission, man. Uh, and I know they've had some tragedies in that state in recent years, but there's just some weird shit that happens over there. And you always hear boxing fans bitch about things they see in the Texas commission and all this stuff. They never talk about the stuff in New York. New York commission does some wacky shit. There's some New York fights where you just see the refs do some weird stuff. Um, also on this car. Oh, I should also mention Emmanuel Rodriguez was flattened in two rounds by Nonito Donaire a few years ago. A lot of people say, particularly casuals and certain YouTube channels, say that Nonito Donaire is overrated and he's, he hasn't fought nobody, blah, blah, blah. Well, how well is this win that he had over Rodriguez aged? Because Rodriguez has never been pieced up like that and dominated that way. And he it's not like he was old. He was faded. He ran into the punch face first with his hands down. <laughs> More about that in a minute. It's not like any of that. Inouye just went out there and bludgeoned dude over two rounds, right? And now he's been pretty good since, especially recently. That win has aged very well for Nonito Donaire. I'm sorry for for. I was thinking of his win over there for Naoya Inouye. Uh, his win over Nonito Donaire is very good, but also uh, Maloney. Maloney's a pretty good fighter. I, I mean, Inouye has had some good wins. Had to mention that. Uh, yeah, I see. It looks like I was saying, um, sorry, guys. Sorry, I said Donaire a couple times. I just see here in the chat. I was um, thinking in my head to mention Donaire. That's why I said his name, but I meant in a way. Sorry about that. That win has aged so well for him. And I think he has shown now that he is truly a top level operator. Hope he gets more busy. Hope he gets uh, here in America next year in fights on American soil. Also on this card, uh, heavyweights, Frank Sanchez, TKO9 over Carlos Negron. Look, as soon as French, uh, Sanchez steps up and fights a guy like Joe Joyce or something, he's going to just get bludgeoned. I just he, – this was a showcase fight. He was supposed to go out there and get an early to mid-round stoppage. The fact that this went nine rounds, 
whatever. All right, co-main. Caleb Plant, KO9 win over Anthony Durrell. Let me ask this. Um, Plant's power punching. Now, I have mentioned in the past, I've been pretty uh, adamant about this, that Plant doesn't punch very hard. He has, I guess, respectable power where he can stop a dude in his tracks. But the way he has fought throughout his career, he really hasn't had game-changing, fight-changing power. In this fight, he did show a little bit of that. I was training with Stephen Bradman Edwards. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe he, they worked on some things together. Sure. Um, but this is Anthony Durrell that he stopped after putting some rounds on him. I'm, I'm sorry, putting some leather on him for pretty much every round. The judges had Plant winning at the time of the stoppage. Uh, one judge had him up 8-0. The other judges had him up seven rounds to one. So he was dominating this fight. It wasn't really competitive at all. And then he stops him in the ninth round. Coincidentally enough, that's the same round that David Benavidez stopped uh, Anthony Durrell back in 2019. But I'm looking here at his resume. He lost to Benavidez in 2019, did not fight at all in 2020, fought twice last year. I, I made a mistake, guys, and I said he fought once last year. He fought twice last year. Sorry. But he fought Kyrone Davis. And then Marcos Hernandez. If you haven't heard of those two fighters, don't feel bad. That's not exactly preparing you for Caleb Plant. The bottom line is this. The last time Anthony Durrell got in the ring against a top-level super middleweight, he lost, clearly. He was dominated and stopped. This time he was stopped by a punch, and it was shocking, and it was explosive. And you know what? It was a great win for Caleb Plant. Uh, I'm not going to put too much stock in this. Like some people are out there saying, man, with Stephen Breadman Edwards in this corner, I want to see Anthony Durrell, or I'm sorry, I want to see Caleb Plant again against Canelo Alvarez. I want to see the rematch. Guys, slow down. Slow down. And some of you out there gave, some of you guys had Plant ahead in his fight with Canelo when he was stopped. Some of you guys gave him like four rounds. You guys are nuts. I don't know what you're watching. He won two rounds against Canelo. Two rounds. If you're being really, really friendly, three rounds, but he really didn't do that much better, if at all, than Billy Joe Saunders did before he got stopped. He really didn't. So um, I, I'm not saying all this to put Plant down. I just want to make it very, very clear. He still has to fight a top super middleweight. The only other one out there that interests me that would be an easy fight to make is David Benavidez. These two have to fight. And if Caleb Plant beats David Benavidez, then absolutely 100%, I want to see him against Canelo Alvarez again, if Canelo's still the super middleweight champion, because he will have shown that, you know what? That was his first time stepping up in opposition against Canelo. He took a tough L, but he learned from it. And not only did he beat Durrell, but he also beat Benavidez, who's undefeated. So if he beats Benavidez, cool, I want to see that. If Benavidez beats Plant, then I want to see him against Canelo. But these two guys have to fight. Unfortunately, the rumor is uh, David Benavidez is going to fight Jose Uzcatagay, which is insane. A dude was on performance-enhancing drugs last year. He hasn't fought anybody since he lost to Plant. That would just be terrible if they really go forward with that fight. But, man, next spring... Give me Caleb Plant, 
David Benavidez. I know it would be pay-per-view. It'd probably be what Showtime pay-per-view. That's fine. Go ahead and put it on pay-per-view. But I want to see those two fight. We got to see plant against somebody like that so that we can properly assess how much he's grown and learned from the Canelo loss and how much maybe now he has developed some power. Maybe it really was just his style. And Breadman is teaching him some ways to get more leverage and torque in his punches. Cool. But look, make no mistake, this was a knockout of the year contender. The way he just, it was a double left hook down to the body, then came up top and nailed him, right? It just absolutely blasted Anthony Durrell out of there. It was a really good knockout. In terms of just the optics of it and everything, knockout of the year contender for sure. Definitely in the top 10, maybe top five. But does that mean I'm ready to put him at number one at super middleweight? right behind Canelo? Does that mean I'd favor him against David Benavidez? Does that mean I need to see him in the ring against Canelo next? No, 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 no. Let's get plant Benavidez, okay? As for Durrell and people being just shocked and appalled that uh, plant did this motion where he was digging a grave and throwing the dirt on Durrell's corpse, uh, there were some people that were just outraged over this. And, and look, was it my cup of tea? Did I see it and go, oh, that's awesome. Good for him. No, I don't give a shit either way. But especially after all the nasty things Darrell had said leading into the fight, which, by the way, nobody in the media addressed. Nobody, because these people are scared shitless to lose their jobs. And they're scared of what the power structure is going to do going after them the way they go after guys like me. Um, you know, that was interesting. What what was funny it was, it was several members, several black American members of the boxing community that tweeted out about Darrell's comments saying, well, this didn't work out well for you, did it? Didn't work out well for every other, every other guy who said that in the past, did it? It was actually other guys who, who, who weren't even in the media. I think even Breadman may have tweeted about it, if I remember correctly, but there were several guys who did. And I was like, you know, props to you guys for addressing this. And not that they were saying, this is outrageous or whatever. I'm offended because no, nobody was who gives a shit, but they were just saying, it's kind of ironic, dude, when you talk that shit and this is how you wind up, who not a good look. Right. So um, at, at least those guys addressed it, but like nobody else did. And some of the people that were just outraged, Oh my God, just classless from plant. Were you really that offended when uh, Darrell said the things he said or any of the other things boxers say or do? I don't know, man. So the selective outrage sometimes is just hilarious to me. I thought I saw a super chat. Let me hit it up real quick. And then we'll get to this main event. Sam with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, who called the technical decision? Technical decision for what? The Emmanuel Rodriguez, Gary Antonio Russell fight. I think the ring doctor stopped the action in the 10th round. And that is when the, or I'm sorry, the ref stopped the action. The ring doctor came over and they decided fights over, went to the scorecards. And that was that, but it was just kind of weird. Some of this, because it looked at some point like, um, uh, Russell was going to get stopped and it looked like they kind of robbed Rodriguez of that in my humble opinion. Okay. Main event time. There we go. D 
Deontay Wilder, KO one win over Robert Alanius. And boxing Twitter blows up. I remember telling you guys the entire time this fight was being promoted, from the minute it was signed, that Wilder was going to knock out Hellenius. Right? Did I not? Did I not say that? Did I not say that Hellenius is straight up, stiff, slow, keeps his head on the line, stands right there in front of you? Did I not say all those things? Did I not say he was tailor-made for Deontay Wilder? Okay. Now, I didn't say he was going to get knocked out in the first round. That I did not say. That I did not predict. I said it would be like in the mid-rounds, right? Six, seven, something like that. Could even go later, depending on how the fight starts. But it wasn't Wilder stalking Hellenius. It was Hellenius stalking Wilder. It was actually Wilder uh, was kind of just taking his time and boxing smart early on. That's what I saw in the first round. And it was Hellenius essentially jumping in to that corner with his hands down, with his chin up. And he basically slammed his face into Deontay Wilder's fist. I'm trying to find the CompuBox numbers. Uh, They sent me, but I don't know if I still have them. Because I wanted to see like uh, how many punches were actually thrown. It was just a handful. I want to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hellenius was credited with landing five punches. I don't know where CompuBox found that. And then uh, Wilder with three. But it was only one punch that mattered, right? So let me find, I'm going to try to see if I could find a video of this. Um, Because I also, I, I talked about this. I talked about the fact that this was going to be a highlight reel knockout and the kind of knockout that you can share in videos and gifs or gifs, whatever they call it on social media. Did I not say that? That's exactly what we got. Let me pull this up so you guys can watch with me. Here we go. Check this out. I'm going to blow this up. So you see while you're fighting, I'm just going to pull up this whole like 30 second clip here. Wilder is actually moving backwards. It's Hellenius stalking. Neither man really punching. Hellenius's head is right on the line. He's very squared up. His hands are down. Wilder's pawing with a jab. And they're just moving around. Hellenius jumps right into the corner, throwing really wide punches, even for him. And then Wilder pieces him up with a short right hand. So... I'm going to play it again. Boom. There it is. And Hellenius stays on the ground, making a scary face for a few seconds. And this clip, here's the punch. There it is. Which basically hit Hellenius eh, kind of in the mouth and the nose. This clip was all over Twitter, right? And I think, um, here, I'm just sharing it from PBC's Twitter page at 1.5 million views. And I want you guys to take a look at Robert Hellenius right here. Hellenius has his arms not, not, not really down in his waist. They're almost out like he's going to go hug Wilder. He's also, look where his front foot is in relation to Wilder's front foot. Their knees are about to hit. 
You can't see their feet, but you can see their knees, right? His chin is way up in the air. He is completely squared up. He basically dove in and said, hit me, please. He didn't dive in behind a hard one-two. He didn't dive in behind a one-one-two or a feint. His head ain't off the line throwing like a haymaker. He wasn't going for broke here. Again, I want every, I'll tweet this picture out if you for you guys who are listening on the audio. But look at the state of the fundamentals here from Robert Hellenius. Now, we were told coming into this fight that this is, this is a world-class heavyweight with over 20 years of experience in the sport of boxing. Okay? Okay, I, I believe that. He, he, he does have over 20 years of experience. He's been in the ring with, with some quality heavyweights. Won some, lost some. Does this look like a world-class heavyweight, something a world-class heavy, heavyweight would do in the first round of the most important fight of their life against the toughest, hardest-punching opponent they've ever faced. Is this how you jump in on a guy who's known for throwing a dynamite straight right hand? What was he doing here? Because he's not punching. Look where his hands are. <laughs> It's it's actually kind of like a little, uh, I don't know what shape that is. It's not an L. It's like a U shape that he's making with his arms. It's a, a giant U. So I say all this, okay? And I want to address the so-called fixed thing. And yes, I, I put that in the title of this video, Was the Fight Fixed? And some of you guys are like, how could you put that in the title? Oh, my God, you're such a hateful... I'm not saying the fight was fixed. I'm addressing the question because it's all over social media. It's all over boxing Twitter. There, there are YouTube videos out there. A lot of people whose opinions I really, really uh, trust and um, you know value really felt that this was fixed. Here's my opinion, okay? Trigger warnings ready, everyone. Let me drink some water before I go into this. <clears throat> okay. Do I think that Robert Hellenius, Deontay Wilder, Steven Espinoza, Al Heyman, members of the New York Commission, all sat together in a room, and there was a guy in the back with a suit that said, all right, everyone, here's the plan. Robert, you're going down in the first round. Here's your bag of money. Lay down on the ground for 32 seconds with your eyes blinking. Really sell it. Really, really sell it because we're going to zoom the camera in on your face uh, while you're unconscious on the ground. We don't show when fighters get injured because we don't want to upset anybody, but your unconscious ass laying on the canvas, we're going to zoom in on your face. And uh, we're, we're going to blast it all over the social media space. Do I think that's what happened? No. A lot of people really, really believe that kind of stuff happens in boxing. That's not what happens. My boy Steve Kim tweeted today something to the effect of, fights are fixed in matchmaking. That's where fights are fixed. It's arranged. It's set up. The word fixed doesn't apply here. I don't think there was an agreement. I don't think that... Hellenius took a dive and, and Wilder tapped him with a little punch and Hellenius is acting here. 
I don't think he's that good of an actor. Okay. Although <laughs> jumping in like this, that shows you how bad of an actor he is. <clears throat> Here's what I think happened. They selected Hellenius for a reason for everything I told you guys about. Demographically, there's a reason there. Deontay Wilder's fans want to see a certain thing, particularly after the Tyson Fury fights. They gave him that. The media wants to see a certain thing that they can promote, something clickable, something um, that's going to get head, uh, headlines, you know, clicks on their headlines. And this, all the different video clips you're seeing and the photos and stuff, everyone's getting a ton of clicks, right? They're milking that. I didn't do that this weekend. I had a little fun tweeting about it, but I certainly didn't milk it for a financial gain like I see other people doing. So everybody wanted this result. I think Hellenius, who has over 20 years of experience in boxing, is a smart enough guy to understand why he was being brought in. Him and his team knew, okay, we can't beat Wilder. He's better. Wilder, Hellenius knows deep down inside Wilder is better than him. He sparred with him plenty. He knows him well. He understands he's not going to beat Wilder in a slugfest. He also understands that if it goes to the cards, he's not getting a decision. If he's lucky enough to go the distance, he's not getting a decision. He's not going to outbox this guy. He's going to lose. He's being brought in to lose. I, I think Hellenius probably made a deal with himself. I'm going to come in here and get this shit over with fast. I could stand here and box with dude and brawl with dude and take a beating and get dropped multiple times and get cut and beat up and bruised and concussed. Or I could just fucking try to hit the lottery. I could dive in and maybe I'll land something, <clears throat> but I'm just going to dive in there with my head on the line, take my shot and go night, night early. Why else did he jump in like this? I think now, now, Maybe he's trying to actually throw a punch here. I'm going to give him that much credit. Maybe he really was trying to knock Wilder out right here. Although he's essentially jumping in, squared up with his chin up, right into Wilder's right hand, knowing that's what Wilder wants to throw. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was really trying to knock Wilder out here. I think he told himself, I'm going to try to punch my lottery ticket and go for it early. I'm going to dive in and just try to land a big, hard shot. Maybe I'll get lucky. I probably won't. But at least this way, I'll get slept early. And it'll be a quick night. I won't get busted and bruised up and blooded up. I can collect my career high payday and go retire back home or my dollar will go very, very far. And then everybody in the business is happy with you know, the script being carried out. And who knows? He he may even get like a farewell fight out of this, one more opportunity, something like that, against a, a lesser opponent so he can go out with a dub. But that's what I saw. So this fight wasn't fixed. Like they had a script and everybody sat down. These guys are not that smart. They're not smart enough to pull that shit off. They're, they're just not. And there are too many leaks, okay? So if that was going on, trust me, guys, they're, they're not that smart. But... Do I think that this was pretty much a setup fight? Yeah. Hellenius just truncated things. 
this was supposed to maybe play out over a few rounds and he just went for it and got pieced up, dropped, and that was it. So this so-called phantom punch that Wilder didn't land, and some people are saying it's he, Hellenius blocked it. Look, Hellenius didn't block the punch. It's very, very clear. I, I paused it right here for you guys. His hands are nowhere near his face, which does kind of tell me that he maybe very likely was trying to get knocked out here. Um, but, you know, was this like arranged in a boardroom and they wrote out a script? No, I, I think you guys need to chill with that. But was this this legitimate, you know, destructive knockout that Wilder set up uh, against an elite level heavyweight that was worthy of your pay-per-view dollars? No. What I find most interesting about all this is, of course, you know, the typical people are going nuts and they're so happy with all this and stuff. And they're acting like guys like me who just call this stuff out are angry about what happened. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I told you guys Wilder was going to win by highlight reel knockout. That was my prediction the day this fight was signed. How could I be mad about predicting something spot fucking on except for the round? That's the only thing I got wrong. But there are people saying now that Wilder's the best heavyweight out there, that he beats everybody not named Tyson Fury. He'd smoke Usyk. He'd smoke Joshua. He'd smoke Joe Joyce. You're just seeing those sorts of things because he destroyed Robert Hellenius. And when you question people about it, they say, well, no one's ever done this to Hellenius. Okay, that's true. Has he ever fought anybody in the top 10? And I know when he fought Kevnachi, he was rated in the top 10, but I think we can all agree he was overrated. Has he ever fought an elite level heavyweight? Ever. This is a guy who was knocked out by Gerald Washington and Johan Duapas. I told you guys last week that Hellenius has trouble with tall, rangy fighters. I told you that. What is Deontay Wilder? He's a tall, rangy fighter with long arms. Everything that Duapas can do and Washington can do, Wilder can do it. 10 times better, especially that right hand. So I just people on both sides of this coin, the outraged fixed fight people, they actually, there is some credence to what they're saying. I just think it's misguided, but people on the other end, they're acting like this is some elite level, high level win. Dude, this was just a get back win for Deontay Wilder and props to him. He did what he was supposed to do against this level of opposition. He's supposed to go in there and flatten this dude. And he did it. So credit to Wilder. Does that mean he's going to do the same thing to Usyk, to Joshua, to Joyce, even to like Joseph Parker and guys like that? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. So I still want to see those fights, but I think we're going to get as I've been saying all along, we're going to get Wilder versus Andy Ruiz next spring on pay-per-view, Fox pay-per-view, Showtime pay-per-view, whatever. I think Wilder's probably going to win that fight because Andy Ruiz, although he's much better than Robert Hellenius, he's like five foot 10, 290 pounds, can't punch very hard. And you're going to say, well, he stopped Anthony Joshua. Yeah, yeah, he did. You know, but, um, that's one night. Does he have the power to stop Wilder? Yes, he does. 
Ruiz certainly does. But he's going to be punching up at the target. And generally speaking, Wilder's more susceptible to guys that can punch with him straight. Uh, guys punching up at him? I don't know. I don't know. Um, he has been hurt by a couple of shorter guys, but not built like Ruiz. So anyway, either way, that's a good fight. And I welcome it. And I, and I want to see it. And I hope that we get Fury versus Usyk next spring at around the same time. If we get those two fights, and then maybe the winners fight each other, that would be great. And as far as Joe Joyce, who is he mandatory for right now? Let me uh, check. I want to make sure I get this right, because I know he's in a mandatory position. It's WBO. Yeah, so Joe Joyce right now is lined up for Usyk. He's got the WBO interim. So the WBC, you know, he's out of that whole picture. So the BC can basically have Wilder and Ruiz fight for the vacant WBC belt or the interim WBC belt, which is likely to happen. And if Fury sticks around, which I think is likely to happen, he'll still be WBC champion, but he'll be fighting Usyk for undisputed. So how all this plays out next year, I don't know, because technically Joyce will have been mandatory longer than the Wilder Ruiz winner. It's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. My hope is that the belts don't get all busted, like broken up next year as soon as we get undisputed. I hope we get undisputed and there's a chance for the undisputed champion, whoever he is, to defend a few times the undisputed championship before the belts get all busted up. <clears throat> all right, so that's what I saw. You guys think I'm crazy? You think I'm way off? I, I just, I think absolutely that Hellenius just thought, you know what, man, just go in there and get this shit over with quickly. That's what I saw. All right. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. Oh, I got a lot of super chats here. Okay. Oh, oh, Sam, I get it now. Sam and the uh, Sam with the super chat. He was saying I super chatted. There may be a technical decision. Yeah, you did call that, dude. So you know what? Uh, Sam had a great call last week, calling um, Rodriguez and um, and Russell. He said there might be more headbutts. Another technical decision. And then Nacho called that too by saying um, that. Rodriguez was going to whoop on Russell. So both of you guys really, really called it last week. Awesome stuff, man. Yeah, Nacho says that uh, Estevez, who was the ref for that fight, pulled the plug by getting the doctors involved, but he robbed Rodriguez of a KO win. Yeah, I thought that they were going to get the KO. Uh, Rodriguez is going to get the KO. Sam with a super chat again. Thank you. He says, do you think that pawing punch knocks you out? So let's talk about that a little bit because there, there's been a lot of conjecture about this. Um, you can't really see in this video that PBC posted here that I'm, I'm sharing, but what Wilder did is he bounced his back off the ropes and then came right off that with the right hand. And that's an old school boxing move. Um, done a million times in sparring. I've had it done to me a million times in sparring, actually. Um, when you back a guy into the ropes, when you push him back or you punch him and he reels back into the ropes, if he's bouncing off the ropes, if you're in a defensive position and your opponent's bouncing off the ropes, you need to be very careful because when a guy bounces off the ropes and swings with a right hand or even like a left hook, but particularly a right hand, 
the ropes do give you momentum. They propel you forward and the distance on that shot becomes much, much shorter. It gets to you much, much quicker. So if you, you think you got the guy's timing and you're shooting right hands from, from a distance, um, it's like, okay, this dude, the right hand, when he shoots it, it gets here, right. You know, it lands right here at this time. It takes this long. Right. But when he's coming off the ropes with it, that timing changes, the angle changes, speed of it, all of it changes. And you get caught with that shot if you're too close and you're not in position. So one thing you learn is when you got a guy in the corner and you push him back, keep your fucking hands up and, and make sure that you're looking for that shot off the ropes because a lot of guys will bounce off the ropes and come back with a hard power punch. That's what Wilder did here. The, the bounce off the ropes did give him a little bit more juice in that punch. He was on balance. Again, I paused this video. You guys can look at where Wilder's front knee is. Because a lot of people were saying he was like off balance on his heels. Look at where that front foot is. You can't see the foot, but you can see the knee. He's got enough weight on that front leg right there. You see that that front leg is flexed. I'm pointing at the picture right now on my screen, okay? that He's got enough weight on that front foot, and it's out front enough where he's got his weight distributed enough to where that short-ass punch definitely could hurt a guy. And when it landed... It landed and slid to the left. So he threw it from the right toward the left. He didn't throw it perfectly straight. There was a little bit of an angle to it. And Hellenius basically kissed Wilder's glove. He jumped in with his fucking head and headbutted Wilder's glove, right? Again, look at Hellenius's position here. So do I, look, did maybe Hellenius play up how bad it hurt him? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not in his body. But he certainly did not try to avoid that punch. That's all I'm going to say. He, A world-class fighter with 20-plus years of experience does not dive into a corner like that with his hands out like that, wide open on a guy who's known as a right-handed power puncher. You just don't see that. You wouldn't make that mistake in sparring, but you're going to make that in the opening round of the biggest fight of your life. That does look suspicious. But as far as the punch being able to do damage, absolutely can do damage. Absolutely. Sam with another super chat. Thank you, Sam. He says, uh, Hellenius had both hands down the whole round. WTF. Yeah, and he was really squared up. And like, you know, he's always fought squared up. But one thing I've talked about this before that Hellenius does do pretty good against shorter fighters. He keeps his head back, keeps his head. It's on the line, but it's on the back shoulder. And he keeps that left hand out to keep distance. I They were playing his tank against Sherman Williams recently, I think on Bally's. And I was watching and he did a good, pretty good job of that in the fight. He still got hit and almost knocked out in that fight. But um, or hurt, I should say. But he did a pretty good job at there was none of that in this fight. None of that. If you just watch the way he fought, um it's just crazy. All right, we got some more. Sam says, I respect you, Mike, for admitting he tried to get hit and the punch was not that great. How can he spar 10 rounds with Wilder if that KO'd him? That's a really great point, Sam. Again, I'm not saying that the fight was fixed and there was a deal and a script written and all that stuff. I'm not saying that, 
to me, it looked like Hellenius wanted to get the punishment over quickly because I just don't see how or why anybody would do that against Wilder, knowing everything we know about Wilder. If you're going to dive in like that, wouldn't you come in at an angle? Once again, guys, if for those of you listening to audio, I apologize um, because I keep talking about this, this still shot I have up on my screen. But for those of you watching the video right now, you can see what I'm looking at. Hellenius's right glove, where it's at. Had Hellenius came in on an angle on Wilder's right side, then that right hand would be in position to possibly catch Wilder. Um because he'd come in at an angle and then you could bend, he could, could have dipped down to his left and got his head off the line, but he came in completely squared up. It just doesn't look right. It doesn't look like a guy that was going in there trying to win. That's all I'm going to say. Sam with another super chat says he looked dead. Then two minutes later, walked out of the ring on his own. Hmm. I bet a hundred, but didn't know they are best friends. That was awful. Yeah, that's another great point. Uh, usually a dude who's absolutely concussed and out on the floor for two minutes with his eyes wide open, blinking and all that kind of stuff, he's going to need help getting out of that ring. Um, he's going to look a little different with his body language. He's probably going to the hospital to get checked out afterwards, you know, all those kinds of things. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Hamed in the chat says, uh, some people acting like Wilder KO'd Vitaly Klitschko. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny the way that works. I mean, people really are acting like that. I'm like, Jesus, guys. Like, this was predictable. We all thought this was going to happen. Will the degenerate boxing fan Lynch with a super chat. Thank you so much. He said, I know I couldn't believe it at first, but Hellenius is the same guy who got knocked out by Gerald Washington. He's never been known for his chin. Agreed, which is why I think that the, the actual knockout itself was legitimate. I don't think it was a fix in the sense that he um, wasn't hurt by the punch. I do think perhaps he... Um, Perhaps he, you know, played it up a little bit. I don't, I don't know. Again, I'm not in his body, but the punch landed and the punch hurt. That I agree with. And for people saying that this punch didn't really hurt, you can't get hurt with that shot. You absolutely can get hurt with that shot, especially if you're doing half the work for the guy who's throwing the punch. But I, th it's almost like he wanted to get hit. I almost think it's like he wanted to get hit. That's how it looked. Okay, several of you guys asking about the phones. No, the phones are not down. Um, I just um, had a lot to cover. I've been trying to tell you guys. Some of you have been on hold for over an hour. Um, but I've been telling you, I've got a lot of shit to cover today. So uh, I, I hopefully I can get to one or two calls, but I don't know. Um, real quick, I will stop sharing that. And we'll, we've got a couple things to preview. Not a whole hell of a lot. Thursday, October 20th, Golden Boy Promotions has a card from Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, on the zone. Friday, October 21st, Showbox has a card from Atlantic City. Of course, that's on Showtime. And Saturday, October 22nd, Matrim has another card from Mexico City. That will be on the zone. None of those really feature top names, top talent. They're more club level shows. But if you guys are true degenerates, you'll probably check it out because that's what degenerates do. Okay, 
I'm gonna give myself a break here and we'll get some phone calls. Let's get these calls uh, super quick, guys. We only got about 10 minutes left in the show, so let's hit them up real quick. All right, let's go to 336. What's up, you're on the show. Yo, Mike, I ain't gonna waste your time or mine. <laughs> I agree with both the uh, female fights, the winners. I took out commentary because yeah, that shit is just starting to piss me off. <laughs> I just took out a commentary. <laughs> I believe they were they were close fights. I agree. I concur with everything you said, but I believe the right people won those fights. Period. Cool. Yo, uh, as far as the bullshit with the yo, Platt and <clears throat> give me a break, son. Will you please? Who the fuck you knocking out this old motherfucker? Fuck that motherfucker, man. <laughs> shit, yo. And uh, <laughs> Wilder ladies. That was bullshit from the start. Bullshit when it ended. And then while they're talking this bullshit about, yo, the heavyweight division can't be without me. Yo, shut the fuck up, son. When you <laughs> fight somebody, motherfucker, then we can talk. <laughs> yeah? That's why I don't pay for this bullshit, son. Because, yo, I paid from the 70s. I ain't paying for no bullshit, man. Anyway, yo, that's it, man. I'm done. <laughs> Great call, BLT. So, Thanks a lot, brother. Yo, all right, man. Thank you. All right, peace. I love BLT, man. You get, it gets right to the point. You know exactly how my man BLT feels when he calls in. Okay, let's get Nacho on the line. Nacho, what's up, bro? Hey, Mike. Nothing much. Um, just real quick. I'm glad that uh, you uh, gave me my props for. Emmanuel Rodriguez. I did not expect that whooping that he put on him, but that was great. Um, and then to see um, that uh, that Caleb Plant knockout. Thank God that he ended up um, putting the uh, cap on that fight because that fight up until that point was tough to watch. So the fact that he ended it with that knockout, I mean, at least it saved us from having to watch <clears throat> any more action because there was hardly any action in that fight yeah so i'm pretty uh pretty glad that he ended it earlier um and then uh with the main event mike i think you went over it it, it was a total walk in the park for a while there like you said elanius just kind of tried to go for broke and it backfired and he got knocked out i mean like you said i don't think him and the dudes at the pbc are that clever that they can pull off a a, a phantom knockout and, and sell it as right. um you know some sort of great acting that uh Hellenius was able to pull off. I mean he he got caught and you know it is what it is, but this idea that all of a sudden uh beating Robert Hellenius makes you um t- a top five heavyweight again, I, I think that's just comical. I, I don't know what to say about that. And um, <clears throat> and then the uh, the last thing I wanted to say because I know there's other people, Haney Cambosos. We all predicted Haney was going to win. Nobody thought Cambosos had a shot to win that fight. Glad it's over with. Now let's either move on to Loma or Stevenson or somebody in that division that can actually put up a fight because um, I'm tired of seeing him beat up on a guy that we knew wasn't going to be able to, you know, touch him no matter how hard he tried. So um, are you going to have a show on Friday, Mike? 
I don't know, man. There's really not a whole lot to cover unless there's like some big news. Probably not. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's cool. It's in. It, it, it's just been a. <laughs> you you kind of went into that phantom punch a lot longer than I thought you would. But yeah, I got no I got deal. ranting. Uh, Sorry, man. Sorry. Yeah. Nah, no big deal. I, I'm kind of disappointed though because I really wanted that Joker that was giving you a hard time on Twitter yesterday oh, to man. have been able to call in. You know, I wanted to see if he really was going to call in, but he who did. knows? Maybe next Monday he'll call in. At least he has the number. So, all right, Mike. Um, all right, thanks I'm a lot, bro. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, uh, Nacho got in it with this guy that was like beating me up on Twitter, and uh, Nacho was like, "Hey, call into Mike's show. Here's the number." You know, so, so uh, thanks for that, Nacho. Yeah, um, and listen, guys, I'm sorry if I ranted too long about the punch thing, but um, I, I don't know. It, it just uh, there's a lot, there's so much conjecture. I don't like the F word fixed. I don't like the R word robbery. People overuse these words. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it, 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 again, I'm not going to use the word fixed, but it looked like Hellenius was trying to get out of there early. That's just what it looked like to me. <clears throat> Aunt Santiago with the super chat. He says, Ioka Franco fire. Yeah, dude, that's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to that one, man. <clears throat> uh, one of you guys in the chat here is saying that you're calling, you're calling the number and it won't let you call. Uh, and you, then you're dialing your phone wrong because no one's ever had that problem. So see the number behind me. The, t- the number on the top is America toll free. The number on the bottom is UK toll free. Both are free. But um, we are at, oh, we got, all right, guys, we got like five minutes left. So I'm going to jump to these calls very quick. Let's make it quick, all right? Let's go to 796 in the UK. You're on the show. Hello, Mike. It's me. It's me in the world. How hey, you what's doing? up, Ahmed? You got to make it fast, man. You got to get oh, right to it. Yeah, yeah. Nothing much. Uh, I'll just I'll just talk about the Wilder fight because I know there's a lot of other fights. But I, I, I do think Wilder is a dangerous opponent for even if they fight next but I see that you got to see more like I called in to ringside reporter so I called in and it's like a, a bit of a longer call like 10 minutes but I was even saying I need to see him fight a guy like Ruiz and then maybe if if the Fury Usyk doesn't fight doesn't happen they could fight but if he knocks out guys like AG Ruiz or Joyce in a couple of rounds then I can see why so many people think he could kill Usyk but like some people are getting carried away. I mean, he did what he had to do. He's coming off a two-year layoff. Exactly. Usyk is no, Usyk is no hilarious. Like, and I know people always talk about he dropped Fury four times, but Fury has hit the deck about four or five times as a pro. Even with Steve Cunningham, I, I don't know if people seen him early on, but he was getting hit by Fursa, and I think his Pajic dropped him as well. So. I, I need to see more, but if Fury doesn't fight Usyk, then I don't mind the Wilder-Usyk fight. But I do think Wilder needs to fight someone else first because he just had one round against Elendis. Like If he could fight someone like Ruiz and knock him out, then I do think that's an interesting fight. But I wanted to know, what did you think if Wilder and AJ fight right now? Like Who would you favor? 
I, you know what? I, I got to like you, Hamed. I agree that I want to see more from Wilder. I want to see him in there against a, a top heavyweight that's going to give him rounds and actually put some leather on him. So I can't really make that prediction with confidence right now. But I, I would, I've always favored Joshua in that matchup. I, I just do. I think Joshua would be too smart to dive in and get caught with a right hand like that early. I think he'd box. And if he lands a big shot, he could absolutely hurt Wilder, especially with that uppercut he throws. But I might change my mind like you if Wilder fights a guy like Ruiz and looks really good. I might change my mind. Yeah, yeah. Right, I won't keep you on too long. I will say one thing, though. AG doesn't really move his head that much. I know he looks yeah. better with Usyk in the rematch, but that could be a dangerous fight. I, I think Joyce may have a better chance against Wilder than AG because you might I be think right. the longer Joyce if, the longer Joyce goes, he's got the better chin and he's more durable. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I got a feeling, I don't know if you agree with this. If Fury doesn't fight Usyk, he might do what Andre Ward did with uh, Butte. Do you remember when Butte and Ward were meant to fight? I think Showtime wanted to get that fight. But then Ward, because he beat Frotch, he thought if Frotch beats Butte, his win would look better. And it's not exactly the same comparison, but I think something like that could happen. But I'm not sure if Wald is good enough to beat uh, Usyk. Yeah, if he lands, uh, of course he has a chance, but I'm not sure if he's good enough to actually actually set that right hand up against a guy like Usyk. But thanks for taking my call. I'll let you get to some of the other guys. All right. Thanks a lot, Hamed. All right. Um, we got to do one more call. You got about two minutes. Two more minutes. Uh, seven seven nine. You're on the show. You got two minutes. Go. Hello, UK. You're on the line. Hello, hello. Okay, he just dropped. Whoever that was. Maybe that was the operator error guy. Uh, all right, guys. Super chat from Sam. He says the reason they don't say fixed is it's illegal. Okay. Good enough. All right, guys. Good show. Uh, I did a lot of talking. So, so um, you know, sorry if I rambled and ranted a little bit too much. But, man, we had a lot to cover. I might do a Friday show. So, so you know, if, if, um, if I'm up to it, I'll do a Friday show for sure. Okay? Uh, even though we don't have a lot to discuss in terms of fights to preview, maybe we could just do a show where it's just nothing but phone calls. And we just talk on the phone and stuff. Maybe I could get two, three, four of you guys on the line at the same time. If that sounds fun, let me know and we'll do it. All right? All right, everybody. Have a great week. See you at the fights. Peace.